Running a successful family meeting takes thoughtful preparation and skill. You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Diane Meyer. Dr. Meyer is Professor of Geriatrics and Internal Medicine and the Director of the Hertzberg Palliative Care Institute at Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York, New York. She is also the Director of the Center to Advance Palliative Care. Dr. Meyer, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Why can running a successful family meeting be so hard? Well, I think the reason it's hard for us doctors is because very often these family meetings involve talking about uh, things that are painful, uh, about what we call bad news, about needing to face the reality imposed by the illness and figure out how to move forward in the context of that reality. And doctors, just like patients and families, want everything to be fine and want everything to go well. And when things are not going fine and when the person's illness is not getting better or going away, it's painful for us too. And I think we tend to avoid situations that are painful, just as all humans do. And I think that's one of the major barriers to physician comfort running a family meeting. How do you prepare for a family meeting? I think the most important preparation is our own sense of confidence and competence before going into the meeting. That is, before I go into a meeting with a family where, for example, I have a new diagnosis of cancer, I will not go into that meeting until I understand the cancer. I've looked it up. I've read about it. I've understood what the treatment options are and their pros and cons. I hopefully will have spoken to, for example, the oncologist that I'm going to refer the family and patient to. And I will have in my hand that oncologist's name, telephone number, and information about my conversation with him so that when I go into the meeting, the predictable questions... I will have answers to instead of saying, well, I don't, I don't really know. I have to go look that up or I don't really know who I'm going to refer you to. Let me think about it. So the, that first thing is the homework, anticipating the predictable questions and trying to get answers to as many as possible and feeling reasonably competent in our own knowledge and our own um, best recommendation for the patient and the family. That's the first preparatory task. The second one is making sure that the right people are in the meeting. And sometimes it's not the people we would predict, or it's not only the people we would predict. So if the patient is able to participate in the meeting and wants to participate in the meeting, obviously the first question is to the patient. You know, I'd like to sit down with you and talk about the results of your tests and usually invite people that the patient would like to have along with them. Is there anyone you would like to have join us for this meeting? And then very often the patient understands, even though it's not fully stated, that you think it's a good idea for them to bring their spouse or their adult child or their neighbor or their minister, someone who can provide them with support. And sometimes I'll say it's helpful to have an extra set of ears to make sure that what we talk about is fully and accurately communicated. And patients understand that. It's also when you say, I'd like you to bring someone, it's, it's what we call a warning shot. Because clearly, if you were just going to tell them, you know, the biopsy was negative, everything's fine, you would do that over the phone. Or you would do that quickly at the bedside and you wouldn't need to organize a formal meeting and time to sit down and talk about implications and plans. 
So by saying you think the patient should bring someone along with them, you are sending them a signal that you're going to be having a serious conversation. How do you determine how much the family knows and wants to know? Well, that's uh, the critical next step. So once the doctor's got his or her knowledge base established, the patient and the doctor have decided who else should be present in the meeting, if anyone. The next part is getting the setting right. And so, for example, the wrong place to have a family meeting is in a busy corridor at a nursing station. It's very important that there be privacy, that there be quiet, that beepers are turned off or put on vibrate or handed to someone else to cover during the time of the family meeting. It's very important that there's room for everyone to sit down and face each other and not to have the doctor standing with one hand on the doorknob and everyone else sitting down. So getting that setting right is also very important, and getting body language right is important. Physicians, particularly when sharing bad news, have a tendency to have closed and defensive body language, legs crossed, arms tightly crossed across the chest. And this signals a distancing and a defensiveness to patients and families that we don't intend and that we do unconsciously. So it's very important to uncross your legs, put your hands on your knees. That's what we call an open body posture because that sends a huge message. How do you assess where a patient is? If you start out assuming that the family and patient know nothing, whereas they're really quite sophisticated and have already been told what they have by another doctor, versus assuming they know everything when, in fact, they know nothing, you're going to get off to a very bad start. So, for example, if you ask first, tell me what the other doctors have told you about what's going on so that we're all starting in the same place, one, fam- one patient may say, oh, the doc said I had a little shadow on my lung, but he didn't think it was anything important. And another patient with the same diagnosis might say, the doctor told me I have metastatic non-small cell lung cancer with involvement of the bone. Um, and your conversation is clearly going to be very different with those two patients. They have the same diagnosis, but a completely different understanding of what's going on. Um, So it's critical to ask for what did the other doctors tell you? How do you decide how much information the patient wants? Doctors have been browbeaten into respecting patient autonomy and self-determination, and that means sharing information and not being paternalistic and not hiding information from patients and families. And that's all well and good if the patient wants the information. But there's a small minority, but a measurable minority, of patients who actually don't want the information and don't want to know. And it's very important not to tell those people something they don't want to hear and don't want to know because if you do, their trust in you and their willingness to continue working with you will be adversely affected. So the next question after what have the other doctors told you about what's going on here is are you the kind of person who likes to know all the details about what's going on with your health, or are you a person who prefers a more general outline? And then I also say something like, some some of my patients prefer me to speak directly with them. Others prefer that I speak to someone in their family, their son, their spouse. Which kind of person are you? What percentage of patients say they want to know everything? In my experience, about 90% of patients will say, tell me everything, I want to know everything. And about 10% will say, you know, actually, I'd really prefer you talk to my daughter. Um, I'm not sure I'm ready to talk about that right now. That is the group that you don't break the bad news to because they're telling you in no uncertain terms that they're not ready for the information and don't want to hear it. 
But in the 90% who say, I want to know everything, doctor, tell me all the details, that's the point at which you actually break the news. And here's, again, where doctors tend to try to seek refuge in language, medical language, excess explanation, excess description, excess modifiers. And the key thing for doctors to do in this situation is to resist that impulse to keep talking and to say in very simple and straightforward terms, I'm afraid you have lung cancer, and then stop talking. Because once you've said lung cancer, the patient and the family are not going to hear a single other thing that you say, and you're continuing to talk really distracts from what they need to do, which is absorb what you've said. You need to use the word cancer, not mass or lesion or shadow, but use the actual word cancer if that's the diagnosis, and allow silence after you've said it. And some people will, you know, take that in and be very scientific and say, well, what are the implications of that and what do you think I should do next, doctor? And others will break down in tears at that point. And the doctor's job at that point is to be present and to provide Kleenex and a glass of water and um, a comforting hand and to listen and to reflect emotions so that if, for example, the patient says, you know, my father died of that, I've always been terrified that I would, you know, die like he died, that's the opening to, to ask the patient to tell you a little bit about what happened with his father because if you can get that out on the table, most of the time we'll be able to say, you know, we didn't really know how to manage a diagnosis like this 30 years ago. We have much better treatments and management of symptoms than we did when your father was ill, and that will go a long way towards helping that patient to pursue and accept therapy. How do you follow up with patients? Once you've broken the news and allowed people to digest it and react to it, and you've supported their expression of emotion, the next thing I usually do is to check back with them and make sure that they heard me, make sure that they understood me. So I'll say something like, sometimes I'm not as clear as as I mean to be. Can you tell me in your own words what is going on with you, what the diagnosis is? And if they come back with, there's a shadow on my lung, Um, then your message about the fact that they have lung cancer did not get through. And you may need to revisit uh, the breaking of the news until you've communicated it in a way that they can take in and understand. How do you lay out a plan for the patient? In this case, for example, it might be that you would like your patient to go visit the oncologist that you've spoken with and that you highly recommend, and you will hand the patient and the family a written piece of paper with the doctor's name and address and telephone number, you will write down on that piece of paper the diagnosis. So you might write lung cancer, you might write non-small cell lung cancer, because it's going to be hard for people to remember it when they leave your office. At that point, the piece of paper is what we call in pediatrics a transitional object. The piece of paper is a symbol of your commitment and relationship with the patient and family and a symbol that you're going to be there for them throughout this, something they can hold on to literally, physically, and take home. It's also very important on that piece of paper to write down when you want to see the patient next because that's a very powerful symbol 
of commitment and attendance on the part of the physician to the patient, that there will not be any abandonment. And then after that, um, I usually call the patient and family back that day or the next day just to check in and see how they're doing, answer any questions they may have, and again, symbolize through my behavior that um, I'm not going anywhere and that we're in this together and we'll get through it together. I want to thank Dr. Diane Meyer, who has been our guest discussing how to run a successful family meeting. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.